Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Keep them out. We're going to look at several different places tonight. Proverbs chapter 5. I want to try to teach you something tonight, show you something. Maybe you've seen before, maybe you haven't, but I think it'll be a blessing to you. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 21. God has blessed us in Arizona, and uh, it's Mormon country. I told somebody before the service tonight, uh, I asked him a question. I said, why did the Mormon cross the road? Any of you know why the Mormon crossed the road? To get to the other bride. And uh, that, that's just something you can take with you. If you don't get anything else, you can take that with you uh, from tonight. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Look, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 3. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Have you ever felt forgotten or overlooked? Have you ever felt lonely or distraught or discouraged or disheartened or all of these at one time? I guess we've all been there. I remember one time as a teenager, I was here at First Baptist across the street, and on a Wednesday night, Brother Eddie wasn't overseeing that particular meeting, but it was junior hires, and there were many of us in there, I don't know how, how many, and uh, the leader said, we're going to have some testimonies tonight. My immediate thought was, please not me, not me, please don't call on me, and I was shy, shy as could be, believe it or not. I know it's hard to believe, but I was so shy and uh, trying to sit as low as I could, and, and please don't call on me, and what do you know, it? he calls on me, and says, you're going to give a testimony. It's just my pride, probably a lot of shyness is rooted in pride, and I just didn't want to be called out, didn't want to look silly, and I stammered and stumbled, and I wasn't ashamed of God, but I just didn't want to stand up in front of everybody and tell something, and after I stammered around, and they said, okay, and you can sit down. They went on to another person that gave a testimony. But I remember being so humiliated. And uh, just, again, my pride, but I came back across uh, or down from the class to, the, to where my mom and dad were sitting. I sat down next to them, and I just put my head down, and I was just ashamed, and I was, I was so shy. And I remember my dad trying to encourage me, but I didn't want to talk to anybody. It's because of my embarrassment. And I felt like, man, I guess nobody understands me. As Christians, we are so fortunate to have the Word of God. Because over and over again in the Word of God, God reminds us that He sees us. He sees us. As we saw two times in the book of Proverbs, you know what God says? God says, I see you. And not just I see you like I see this Bible laying before me, but it means that God sees you with a perfect knowledge it means He sees your heart, He sees your desires, He sees your hurts, He knows exactly what you're like, He sees you completely. And for a few minutes, I want us to look at one of the sweetest illustrations of this in all the Bible, and it's tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament, so take your Bibles, turn back to Genesis chapter number 16. Somebody may ask, why study the Old Testament? We're not under the ceremonial law. No, but the truth is, the Old Testament is just as inspired by God as the New Testament is. And how God dealt with Old Testament saints reveals how He deals with us today as New Testament believers. The Old Testament, watch me, the Old Testament reveals the character of God. And one thing the Old Testament shows us is that God is not some far removed, distant, out of touch God, but rather He is a God who sees, 
He is a God who knows. He is a God who understands. What a thought. What a thought. I want you to carry this home with you tonight. The God of the universe sees me. The God of the universe knows me. The God of the universe understands me. Father, meet with us the next few minutes and we'll be thankful. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I had tremendous parents. As all parents should be, they were actively involved in my life. They were always there, or they seemed to be. I have a brother and two sisters, and they'll tell you the same thing. So many times I was challenged, and I was warned, and I was encouraged by the fact that my mom and dad saw me. In church, we always had to sit with them or in front of them. That was the rule. Either we were with them or in front of them. You say, why was that? Because they didn't trust us. That's why. And by the way, uh, God doesn't trust your children either. That's why he put them under you until they become 18 years of age. But I, I, I remember sometimes in church when we would be tempted to misbehave, all we had to do was glance over our shoulder and I'd see, and invariably one of them would be looking at us. And it was just that look, we see you. We're watching. We know what you're thinking. In sports of any type or any competition, my dad was always there. Always there. I had teammates. If my dad didn't show up long before the game, they'd be asking me, is your dad going to come? Is your dad? Yeah, I said, he'll be here. He never missed any time. And uh, my dad had a nickname for me. It was called Soup. That was short for Super Kevin. And uh, I think he liked it because it carried a long way. Soup. And he'd say, kick shin, Soup, when we were playing soccer. And he, he would just always be there. And he had his eyes on. He, he saw me. My dad, my dad tells the story of my, my younger brother, Keith. He was shooting a basketball in the front yard. And we had telephone wires uh, that went across between where he was standing and the hoop. And he was standing way back, I guess about 50 feet away. And he took the basketball and he threw it over the basketball wires. And it went right into the basket. And he was so excited. He was jumping up and down. And then he looked around and nobody he thought saw him. And it kind of was disappointing until my dad told him later. He said, Keith, I saw you. Even when we were unaware, our parents saw us. They were watching. How much more does our Heavenly Father see? How much for, more does our Heavenly Father love us? How much more does our, is our Heavenly Father aware of what's happening? In fact, the Bible gives us several names for our, our great God, and one of them we're going to see in the chapter we're going to look at tonight. It's, it's the term El-Rohi, the God who sees I read this and I was so encouraged. I, I want you to look back. I said chapter 16, but let's start in chapter 12. I, I want to show you a story here, and I, I'm going somewhere, so bear with me. Genesis chapter 12, if you would. Remember, Genesis, the book of Genesis, uh, means beginnings. It's a great book covering 2,500 years of the, of the world's history. And really, it reveals to us just who God is. It begins with creation and man choosing to sin, and then God reveals his great mercy and love in providing a plan B, because as soon as mankind sins, what does God do? He provides a plan of redemption. He says one day the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, and uh, so God had another plan. But man becomes more and more sinful and becomes more and more rebellious and violent until God has to destroy the whole world with a flood. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, so God didn't give up. Noah's family is spared, and God will begin again. Then the Bible moves quickly to the story of Abram, or Abraham. After the great flood, Abram is the very first person that God speaks to. Now keep in mind that Abraham doesn't know much about God. 
Well, he doesn't know much of what God is like. There's not much Bible. There's not even a portion of the Bible. There are no commentaries that have been written. Matthew Henry wasn't even around then. There was no daily bread booklets. There was no TBN, hard to believe. He doesn't have what we have today. He's got to learn, and we will learn by studying his life just who God is. Initially, to Abraham, you know what God was? God was just a voice. That's all he was. It was a voice that speaks to him. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now the Lord said, had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So this voice of God comes to Abram, and he says, Here's the deal, Abraham. You leave where you are, you leave your home, you leave your family, and you go to where I tell you to go, and I will make of your offspring a great nation. Now, that's quite a promise. And uh, now, a couple of things about this, I think you can figure it out. But to be a nation, you've got to have several things. First of all, you've got to have land. And the voice says, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to lead you to the land of Canaan. Secondly, if there's going to be a nation, there has to be a governing document a set of laws, and a constitution. That would come later on at Mount Sinai. But there's a third thing that you need to have a nation, and that is people. You've got to have people in order to have a nation. Now hold it. As you follow this story, you'll find that Abraham and Sarah have a big problem. They have no children. They've been married for years, but no children. I'm sure they thought, hold it, God, you promised that you would make of us a great nation. Will you keep your word, God? Do you know? Hey, have you forgotten us? Are you, do you see us? Do you care about us? That's what Abraham's story is all about. God is revealing to Abraham and he's revealing to us just who he is. When you read this, it's sort of, sort of like taking an introductory course on God and his nature. Really what this is in the book of Genesis is, it's God 101. God is showing us what he is like. He's showing us his character. He's showing us how he deals with mankind. Okay, Abraham and Sarah obey God's voice and they leave their home. They don't leave all their family right away, but they will eventually. And they travel to the land of Canaan where the voice of God told them to go. You know what they do? They get there and they wait. I'm, I'm talking about spring and summer and fall and winter. And there's no progress there's no child, there's no nation. So you know what they do? They keep waiting. The second spring and the second uh, summer and the second fall and the second winter, nothing. And the third year, nope, nothing still. On and on we could go. Now look over it at uh, Genesis chapter 16. And I want you to realize when we get here that this poor couple has been waiting for 10 long years. They did their part. They obeyed the, the voice of God. They left home, and here they are, 10 years later, without a child. Don't you think they were a little confused? I think so. Many have looked up to God and said, maybe they looked up to God and said, excuse me, God, hey, we're here. You remember us? Remember us? Remember that promise you made to us? You remember we're the couple that you called out of our homeland and you said go and we went. Now, where's the baby, God? We're supposed to be a nation. Remember that? Here we are. We're waiting. Do you see us, God? 
Genesis chapter 16, verse number 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Keep in mind, ten years of waiting, and now they're frustrated. Do you know what we often do when we get like that? We come up with an alternate plan. We have our own solution, as Sarah did. She has an Egyptian handmaid or maidservant by the name of Hagar. Look at verse number 2. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now this wasn't wise. But it was somewhat common in those days. There were no adoption agencies. There was no written law of God. Often the husband would go into a servant and the child that was conceived would be considered that couple's child. So Sarah says, let's do it that way. Abraham says, sounds okay to me. Look at verse 3. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. As you might imagine, this creates major problems in this home. Note the dynamics. First, Sarah is up here, and Hagar, her servant, is down here. But now, Hagar is moved up to here, where Sarah is. She is Abraham's wife, but at the same time, she is still Sarah's servant. So this is creating an awful problem. Look at verse number 4. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now think about this. For all these years of their marriage, Sarah had hoped and had longed for a child, but no child came. Hagar comes in, and a child is on the way. And when Hagar realizes this, she begins to despise Sarah. So here it is. First of all, you have Hagar way down here, you have Sarah up here. Now, at the marriage, you have both of them that think they're equal, and then you have Hagar who now has conceived a child, and now she thinks she's above Sarah. She looks down at Sarah, and she taunts her, and she mocks her behind her back. Look at verse number 5. Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. That's familiar, isn't it, fellas? I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord's judge between me and thee. Sarah says, Abraham, this is all your fault. And you know what? She was right. Abraham was a spiritual leader. And he could have, he should have said, no. No, Sarah, we're going to wait on God. But he didn't say that. Now we've got trouble in River City with a capital T. I mean, we have Hagar that's making fun of her mistress, Sarah. We have Sarah who's angry at Abraham. And we have Abraham who's sighing and throwing up his hands. Look at verse number 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. You know what Abraham says? Abraham says, I'm bowing out, Sarah. Do what you got to do. Do what you want to do. But this is a big problem because 
Hagar is not just his servant, but now she is carrying his child. This is, this is, there's hatred, there's jealousy, there's mistreatment. Both ladies are mad at Abraham. Fellas, you think you got it bad? Both ladies are mad at Abraham. It got so bad that Hagar ran away. After all, her name means to flee. You can look it up. Folks, this is nobody's finest hour. You know what this is? This is a, this is a mess. This is a big mess. It's kind of like the messes we find ourselves in from time to time, especially when we step out and try to step in for God and make alternate plans. You've got Hagar sneering. You've got Sarah retaliating and beating Hagar. You've got Abraham helplessly watching. Hold it. Don't leave me now. Out of these three people, who would you say is the main character in this story? Who has been the focus of this story since chapter 12? Would you say Abraham? Would you agree? How many would say Abraham would be the main character in this story? Wouldn't you expect for God to keep the spotlight on Abraham? Wouldn't you expect him to at least keep it on Abraham and Sarah in the tent? I mean, these are the two that receive promises from God. Surprise! The story doesn't focus on them at all now. God's inspired and preserved word focuses on this little slave girl who ran away. I love the great heart of God, don't you? Remember, this is God 101. We're learning for the first time just who God is. Look at verse number 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. Who? Hagar. By the fountain in the way to Shur. The angel of the Lord is the first time you find that phrase in the Bible. Perhaps it's an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He found her on the way to Shur. You know where she's going? She's going back to Egypt. She's going back home. She's going back to where somebody cares. Back to where somebody actually sees her. Look at verse number 8. And he said, Hagar, the angel of the Lord does, Sarah's maid, whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. The angel asked, where are you going? And she answers, anywhere but back to Sarah. She said, I'll never again look at her face. I'm not going back there. Can you see it? She's angry. She's frustrated. She's discouraged. She's lonely. Yes, she's done wrong, but in many ways she's been a victim of Abraham and Sarah's impatience. What now? What now for this seemingly insignificant slave girl? Look at verse number 9. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Go back to Abraham and Sarah, the angel of the Lord says, and submit. Even if they're misguided, they're still your authority. Quit taunting her. You're her servant. This is the only way there'll be peace for anybody. It's God's plan for you. Look verse 10, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed according, exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Here Almighty God offers her a blessing. Who? This runaway slave. 
He says, that child that you're carrying, it's a boy. And you'll call him Ishmael. You know why the word Ishmael means God shall hear? I love it. God knew all about it. Oh, she's been a part of the problem that was caused, but God was aware of her. He was aware of her need and He cared. Who says we don't need the Old Testament? Again, the name Ishmael means God hears. What a sweet thought. Even in this dysfunctional mess, God hears. Listen, friend, what a God we serve. He cares about you. He cares about me. He hasn't changed. The angel says, call that boy Ishmael because God has heard what has happened to you. Finally, we come to our text verse for today. Look at verse number 13. And she called the name of the Lord and spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. The title of our message, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? She says, You're the God that sees me. I have now seen the God that sees me. Watch me, folks. Here's God 101. God sees me. God is aware and He cares. Can't you see what God is showing us? The first person who gets some insight into the nature of God, or this portion of the nature of God, is a slave girl named Hagar, who would become the mother of the Arab people. She understands what God wants to reveal to His children. Here it is, that God is a God who sees us. He sees you. Yes, He sees you, discouraged mom. He sees you, single adult. He sees you, teenager. He sees you if you're brokenhearted. God is a God who sees us. Several years ago, I faced a tremendous trial, and I'll not get into it, but I felt I couldn't go on. It was a time I just felt like, man, I, I can't make it. I can't go on anymore. But I held on to a verse, Psalm 27, verse 14, says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, in the Lord. I was reminded again and again that God hadn't forgotten me, that God sees me, that God cares. So watch what happens here. Hagar goes back to Sarah, who is not her friend. How is she going to make it? She'll make it because she is now aware that she is not alone. The Almighty God sees her. That God watches over her. That God will help her. He sees and He cares. Whatever she faces, she realizes now that thou, God, seest me. Hey, I too have seen the one who sees me through the Word of God. He's not just some far removed, unseen God. Our God is a God who sees, and our God is a God who cares. She gives God a new name. El-Rohi, the God who sees. Take heart, friends, He sees you. These are challenging times that we live in. So many are struggling. Some of you are struggling with health issues. Some of you find yourselves in a complicated relationship mess, maybe like Hagar did. Maybe you had something to do with it, maybe not. You find yourself in a mess. I have folks in our church like that. We have a man that we're praying for now named Matt East, and one of the most faithful men in our church, just in his late 30s. And 
He's battling cancer. He's got brain cancer. And they've done two surgeries and try to remove it, and they can't remove it all. And now he's undergoing chemotherapy and radiation. And our church is praying for him. Illness comes. False accusations come. Financial struggles come. Broken relationship. The loss of loved ones. How can I make it, preacher? How can I go on? Here's how you make it. Thou, God, seest me. There's a God in heaven who sees, and there's a God in, in heaven who cares. Watch me tonight. If you're burdened tonight, and you're discouraged tonight, and, and maybe you're at a place similar to where Hagar was, let me a- answer me this question. What if God sees? What if God knows? What if God really cares? There are young people that ride the bus. I preached to some of them at City Baptist today. I know teenagers can put on a tough front, but a lot of times there's hurt there. We live in a day and age where we have just lost our mind. It's Romans chapter 1, come to life. People are given over to a reprobate mind. These young people are living with that, trying to determine how many genders there are. So basic, God's already determined that. But they're facing this pressure And young people come and they find a little taste of heaven here at church or maybe at City Baptist School, but they go home. And there's conflict there. And there's arguing and there's fighting. And they go to their room and maybe they put on their headphones because they're trying to drown out an argument between two people that they love dearly. And tears come. I hope when you reach that point you'll remember this. El Rohi, God sees me. Thou, God, seest me. Remember 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Hey, what if God knows? What if he sees? What if God cares? The Bible insists that he does, not just here in Genesis chapter 16, but over and over and over again. God says, that's what I'm like. I see you. I see you perfectly and completely. I I see your broken heart. I I see your hurts. I see your desires. I, I know your dreams. Don't leave me. Two generations later, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, his family is a mess too. He's afraid that his brother Esau will kill him. And there's a reason for that. Because his brother Esau will try to kill him. So he runs away to his uncle Laban's home. There he sees his uncle's daughter Rachel, who's very beautiful. He falls in love. He makes a deal with Laban. He'll work for seven years and marry Rachel. He does, and finally the wedding night comes, and he's so excited, but in the darkness, the trickster is outsmarted. His uncle sends not beautiful Rachel into his tent, but her older cross-eyed sister, Leah, into the tent. He wakes up in the morning and he finds that he's married to the wrong girl. Watch me. Here's here's the side of the story that we may miss. Leah didn't have anything to do with that. But now she's married to a man who doesn't really love her. Listen to what God says. Genesis 29, verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. I love that. God hadn't forgotten her. God hadn't overlooked her. Thirteen chapters after Hagar's story, you know what God is saying? God is saying it again. I see you. I see you. I still care. 
He sees Leah, this wife who's hated. He is El-Rohi, the God who sees. Years and years later, Abraham's descendants are slaves down in Egypt. There are probably two million of them now. Again, the nation that God promised Abraham, he kept his word. They're in a ter terrible fix, but there's this shepherd on the backside of the desert. He's, he's sort of insecure, but one day Moses sees a bush burning and it's not being consumed. He goes to check it out, and lo and behold, the same voice comes to Moses and says, Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 7, I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries, and I know their sorrows. Can't you see who our God is? He's the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He's the God who knows. And He's the God who cares. What is our great God like tonight? He is El-Rohi, the God who sees. Hey, listen to me tonight, friend. Hey, what if God sees? And what if God cares? And what if God knows? And, and what if we were convinced of that? Hey, what if we could leave this place tonight and say, I know the God who sees me. Could we make it then, friend? Could we go on then in discouragement? Could we find hope? no matter what we're facing. I remember years ago when our daughter Ashley was going to be born and my wife went into labor, her water broke and I was a nervous wreck and my wife was under control, but I wasn't. Took her to the hospital and we waited and we waited and we waited and it was like 23 hours she was in hard labor and I sat there by her side and I was the most dedicated husband as you can imagine and I was giving her ice chips and I was saying come on honey you can do it and she would squeeze my hand and dig her fingernails into my hand every so many minutes and you know they get mean when they're like that. I, I, if you ask her she'll tell you no but she was the one on medication at the time and I wasn't. And I, I just, I'd ask her, I'd say, honey, can I get a drink of water? No, you can't, and did a drink of water. And, and I was trying to be kind. Finally, they decided to take her into surgery, and I went to the, to the restroom there. I went to the waiting room. They said, just wait in here, and I couldn't wait in there. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to do. I'd never been through this before. And I remember I went into a little restroom, a personal restroom that was next to that waiting room, and I turned off the lights, and I locked the door and I fell on my face and I just said, oh God, God be with my wife, be with our baby. I didn't see a 900 foot Jesus in that bathroom. But I know God was there just as surely as I know anything. I knew his presence. God sees and God cares. We have two sets of identical twin granddaughters now. If you want to see any pictures, see me after the service. Many of you prayed for the older of those two sets, Addie and Maddie. So burdened for them. Prayed so many times for them. You know what kept me going? I, I remember the God who sees me. Amen. The God who cares. Are you in a mess? Are you hurting? Are you desperate? Are you discouraged? Are you lonely? Are you fearful? God sees. And God knows and God cares. You see, when you're running away, He runs to you. When you're running away like Hagar was, He comes after you. What a story in Genesis chapter 16. God shows us what he is like. He reveals himself to a runaway slave girl, a nobody to the world, but a somebody to God. God helped Hagar to understand he sees me. May we understand that tonight. Of course, the best revelation we have 
of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, and He came to show us clearly what God is like. One day Jesus pointed to the sparrows and to the ravens, and He says they don't dig in the ground. He said they don't build barns, and they don't worry. You know why? Because they know that God sees them. And Jesus says not one of them, not one of them falls to the ground, but God sees them. He says, see those wildflowers? Not one of them exists without God clothing them. Because God sees and God knows. He is the one, he is the God who sees me. El Rohi, no, what, no matter what you're facing, God's word to you tonight is this. I see you. I see you. Would you look up and see the God who sees you? Thou, God, seest me. I have seen the God who sees me. If you're unsaved, he loves you tonight, friend. You ought to come to him. If you're a Christian, you ought to trust him. You ought to go forward in faith. Say, how can I do it? What if he sees, friend? What if he sees? What if he cares? What if he knows? Could you make it? Nobody else may see you, but God does. Look to him and trust him.